Hey, have a seat. Good to see you. Welcome to game shows, I suppose. And welcome to the niche podcast about the one thing that I know something about game shows, I suppose. I'm your host, Jordan Haas. We have a fantastic episode today. I'm Energek right now. I can't wait to see me all fizzle out of energy by the end of the episode. But it's one of my favorite game shows of the UK, Mastermind today. No, not that little peg game with the little marbles, Milton Bradley. No, this is a quiz show. It's going to be a lot of fun. Brian will be stopping by in just a bit to talk about it. But before we get to that, you know what we do first. We got to get through the news. All righty, let's see what's going on today. <clears throat> Jesus. All right, let's see here. Uh, Foodon Critic. May the best booze wins. Discovery's all-new series, Master Distiller, premieres March 3rd. Okay, so I'm guessing a brew brewery kind of game show. Game show about best tasting ales and IPAs. I fear the puns in this. Here we go. Judged by three legendary moonshiners, three competitors will face off each week in a series of challenges focused on making a specific type of spirit, including American whiskey, rum, gin, mountain brandy, and mezcal, among others. Uh, three competitors, three judges, one winning spirit. Uh, is, it a win- is it a spirit pun? Okay, it's a spirit pun. On an all-new Discovery Channel series, Master Distiller, America's top legal and outlawed distillers go head-to-head in the ultimate booze-making competition to see what it takes to join the ranks of the greats and win the title of Master Distiller. An all-new series, Master Distiller, premieres Tuesday, March 3rd at 10 p.m. Go ahead, Super Tuesday. Let's get hammered. Uh, (laughs) Discovery Channel after an all-new episode of Moonshiners. Across the country, distillers carry on a centuries-old tradition. While some operate on the legal side, others perfect their craft in the shadows and beyond the reach of the law. Now, these diverse distillers will compete to earn their place in liquor-making history. Judged by three legendary moonshiners, Mark, Digger, and Tim of Discovery's Moonshiners. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's the moonshiners are moonshiners. <laughs> Three competitors will face off each week in a series of challenges focused on making a specific type of spirit, including American whiskey, rum, gin, American... I already read this part. Beyond this area of skill required to complete these challenges, these competitors will need to prove their knowledge of the craft and demonstrate profound creativity as they convert raw local ingredients into authentic, handcrafted spirits that will impress the most seasoned of distilling experts. The champion of each episode will receive a limited release of their winning recipe through Sugarlands Distilling Company. Okay, so it's like the menu, but with liquor. Okay, okay, I'm not that... Of bragging rights on the line and a limited run of their winning product on the shelf. Who have would take? Do they get money? Like, do they get like a prize money, like ten percent off anything sold, or like, is is what's the prize here? 
with Breckenridge on the line and limited run on the winning product on the shelf, who will have what takes to be named Master Distiller? I mean, okay. Uh, I know that actually might sound like an interesting format, uh, considering the rise of the uh, home brews and the rise of the spirits and lots of homemakers making their own uh, alcoholic beverages. This sounds like an interesting format, actually. I mean, I don't know jack shit about this, but I mean, considering things like Forged and Fire, this might be one of those formats where it's a niche and it's a craft and it's a niche hobby, but it makes for a reality format that might be uh, one of the better formats. The fact that the prize is it gets into a market line is also very interesting, and I kind of like formats where it is a you, the viewer at home, can actually sample the item. I know On the Menu did that, and with something like uh, Distill, if something is really cool and then like the judges go, oh man, it smells like strawberry and there's a bit of brown sugar in this and it's really interesting. I think like, like if you can then taste it, that actually adds something to the format. I love interaction in that regard. So this might actually be a really cool format. <laughs> and uh, even though I don't drink, I mean like... Hey, if any of these winning formulas want to like send some samples my way, I mean, I, I'm not going to stop you. Just just shoot me a DM. <laughs> I I will gladly sample all winning liquors um, and come up with a good winning uh, formula as well for cocktails. I assume some of these are going to be for cocktails, unless it's just trying to be like straight on the rocks kind of beverages. Uh, next. Deadlines reporting X-Factor is on rest in the UK until 2021. X-Factor won't air on ITV in UK this year as Simon Cowell figures out how to breathe new life into its once all-conquering talent show. Uh, Five-year deal with ITV for Britain's Got Talent and X-Factor. Prand is to broadcast the final season later in 2020. But Cowell and ITV now seem to rest the show until 2021. And you know what? This is a fascinating thing. Because X-Factor in the UK, that's their big singing show, except for maybe The Voice. Uh, there's X-Factor Celebrity and X-Factor the, uh, the Band, and both of these are kind of spinoffs of X-Factor. By deciding, I'm going to hold off on making more episodes and then do something next year is actually one of the more smart things to do with a format. Uh, plans for the albums are still being finalized and will be announced in due course. We are currently filming Bryn's Got Talent 2020, says spokesperson for the show. Um, okay, so that is that is actually rare. We're in rare uncharted waters because normally when it comes to any of these television shows, even if it's a game show, it doesn't matter. Usually what happens is you milk the show for every penny and then you cancel it when it's done. The fact that they're putting it on hold and freezing it for a bit is actually ingenious because you don't want to overwork the audience into seeing it over and over again and expecting the same stuff. By freezing a show like X Factor, you're you're putting it off for a while. So now people are going to slowly forget X Factor in a way of like, oh, I've seen this before. Oh, I know how this is. Oh, I know there's the... There's the the announcer guy, and oh, I know what Deadlock is, and all that kind of format points. That if he faded out just a bit, and then in 2021, you see X-Factor returns. You're like, whoa, wait, it's back? I forgot it was even a thing. 
because it's a short-term memory thing, but it's also a time to catch a breath for the producers so they don't have to overwork coming up with some new twist next season or what to do next season to make it stand out differently. By making it stand still, by giving that little breath and then rebooting it in like a year or so, actually makes the show feel more of a demand because it's it's like a supply and demand issue with the show. By putting so much supply out there, there's not a lot of demand, which means not a lot of audience retention rate, which means you're not going to see a lot of people clamor for X Factor if it came out as usual this year. If you just leave it out just a bit and then bring it back, there will be some demand. Kind of like Millionaire. I always like to bring up Millionaire because that's what makes the show ingenious is it's such a limited episode. You only get like six episodes a year and then like eight months later goes by and there's another six episodes. Just by leaving it out to breathe like that gives this show some level of of, uh, seriousness which I think is clamored for the X Factor considering the talent that that show has produced with people like One Direction, for instance. Like, like that is the kind of way we're going. We're going to completely ignore Ryland Clark Neal in this, aren't we? <laughs> I, I mean, I would. Um, but that's what makes uh, a show like this so fascinating. And I think that is something we won't see in American audiences for a bit. It's not like a we're canceling it and then we're going to reboot the show in like three years. No, it's clear like they have a strategy in play here and it's very smart. And I think Simon knows what he's doing. And that's why I think the X factor is going to be bigger than ever in 2021. And I think one of the many reasons is, and this is just my hypothetical scenario here. I think it's going to be something with Eurovision. I think there's something to do with the explosion of singing competition shows and by putting X Factor on rest and then bringing it back, it's kind of going to be like, you missed us, didn't you? It's not the same with like an American Idol where it's like on ABC now and everyone's like, oh, oh yeah, that's right, American Idol. I mean, it created so many stars here in America, but no one's clamoring for another season of American Idol. It's not like a, man, American Idol is really the best when you consider there's other sh- singing shows out there. I mean, it's out of the voice now at this point, but uh, to me, it feels like this is a smart option. So congrats. I say that's a real smart idea. Personal news. Uh, Philip Schofield, host of Five Gold Rings, The Cube, uh, publicly announced this week that he is openly gay now. Uh, I say now because, well, he's been keeping it for a while. Uh, he's announced on this morning about it. There is a letter um, I'm going to now read the entire letter that Philip Schofield wrote for this morning. You never know what's going on in someone's seemingly perfect life, what issues they're struggling with, or the state of their well-being. And you won't know what has been consuming me for the last few years with the strength and support of my wife and my daughters. I've been coming to terms with the fact that I am gay. This is something that's caused many heartbreaking conversations at home. I've been married to Steph for nearly 27 years, and we have two beautiful grown-up daughters, Molly and Ruby. My family have held me so close. They have tried to cheer me up, to smother me with kindness and love, despite their own confusion. Yet still, I can't sleep, and there have been some very dark moments. My inner conflict contrasts with the outside world that was changed very much for the better. Today, quite rightly. Being gay is a reason to celebrate and be proud. Yes, I am feeling pain and confusion, but that comes only from the heart that I am causing to my family. 
Steph has been incredible. I love her so very much. She is the kindest soul I've ever met. My girls have been astonishing in their love, hugs, and encouraging words of comfort. Both mine and Steph's entire families have stunned me with their love, instant acceptance, and support. Of course, they're worried about Steph, but I know they will scoop us both up. My friends are the best, especially Holly, who has been so kind and wise, and who has hugged me as I sobbed on her shoulder. At ITV, I couldn't hope to work with a more wonderful, supportive teams. Every day on this morning, I sit in awe of those we have met who have been brave and open in confronting their truth. So now it's my turn to share mine. This will probably all come as something of a surprise, and I understand but only by facing this, by being honest, can I hope to find peace in my mind and a way forward. Please be kind, especially to my family, Philip. Uh, that's very kind. Uh, so I say uh, it's a nice thing for Philip Schofield. Philip Schofield is one of my favorite uh, British game show hosts over there. Think, I'm thinking of all those little game shows I remember watching him and like winning Lions and then seeing this news. And then it's like, wow, I never knew. And the fact that he's come out, especially this late into someone's broadcasting career in age, and it's not out of like a, uh, I'm going to call it a uh, <laughs> Kevin Spacey moment. You know, like when Kevin Spacey came out and it was like after a controversial thing happened, this was just kind of just out of the blue. And uh, I'm glad that he is happy about this and he's finding his own peace and uh, something tells me, because this is all out, you're going to see a more joyful, happier, and still professional Philip Schofield later in the run of game shows. So uh, big congrats to Philip Schofield on this one. Hope everything is well with your family. Uh, best of luck on this morning. I'm giving the thumbs up. Um, next. Fox orders I Can See Your Voice, music guessing rally series hosted by Ken Chong, based on Korean form. I believe I already said something about this. So I guess they picked it up. They pitched and they picked it up. Uh, when is this? This was in February 6th. Okay. Uh, Fox Entertainment given a series order I Can See Your Voice, a music mystery game show hosted and executive produced by the Masked Singer panelist Ken Jeong. Like the hit The Masked Singer, which also involves music and mystery guessing, I Can See Your Voice is based on a South Korean format. The series, performed in-house by Fox Alternative, will premiere later this year. As Deadline uh, revealed last month, Fox piloted a Jeong-fronted U.S. adaptation. Okay, that was last month. I remember talking about that. Just like The Masked Singer, I Can See Your Voice is a distinctive format that makes for big, bold, creative swing. And with Ken Lee in the charge as host, it's going to be another crazy ride for viewers, said Rob Wade, president of Alternative Entertainment and Specials. I Can See Your Voice provides us with another show as we continue to build out Fox Alternative Entertainment's production slate. Unlike The Masked Singer, I Can See Your Voice, created by Lee Shong Young, does not involve actual singing until the reveal. Each week, one contestant will have the chance to win a cash prize if they can tell the difference between the good and the bad singers without ever hearing them sing a single note. Helping the contestant navigate through rounds of lip-sync challenges, comedic hidden clues, and true-false evidence will be a panel of celebrity comedians and experts and a musical superstar, an element that mirrors that of the masked singer. In the end, the singer whom the contestant picks will reveal if they are good or bad in a duet performance with the musical superstar. If the chosen singer can hold the tune, they will receive a special reward. But if the singer is tone deaf, they will receive a cash prize. As the smartest judge on The Masked Singer, I'm excited to be the host of I Can See Your Voice, Ken Jong said. I truly love working with Rob Wade. 
uh, Craig Plasius, and everyone at Fox Alternative. And I know exactly what the next big Fox hit will be. Uh, John is going to produce I Can See Your Voice with James McInerney and Craig Plistis. Uh, Ken Jong will appear on the hit comedy feature Crazy Rich Asians and retained the Fox director's John M. Chu on his first ever comedy special, Ken Jong colon, You Completely, Ho, which launched globally on Netflix in 2019. The Dr. Ken Community and Hangover alum will be next seen on the big screen with My Spy and Scoob. He is rep by Aligned Entertainment, ICM Partners, and attorney Chad Christopher. Okay, I'm not going to piss him off now. They have his attorney on the press release. <laughs> Canadian producer Marble Media, this is the last news of the day. Canadian producer Marble Media has announced a production greenlight for season two of premium unscripted kids and family series All Around Champion. I've never heard of this show until right now. Hosted by Canadian Olympian world champion hurdler, Perdita Felician. Oh, okay. Uh, the eleven by okay, eleven episode, sixty minute feel good challenge series features ten of North America's most celebrated young athletes competing in each other's. Sp- okay, okay, this sounds pretty cool, actually. Rising stars, age twelve to fifteen, from sports as diverse as swimming, golf, and gymnastics, test their abilities in a new discipline in every episode and score points based on skill, sportsmanship, and general improvement over the series. Each week, participants receive coaching from a major sporting star, such as American gymnast Alicia Sarah Kamalin Quinn, who will help them overcome their fears and provide tips and help with technique. The non-elimination format. Okay, it's non-elimination too. That's also clever. Sees all ten young sporting stars remain until the final episode when scores are added up and one athlete is declared the all-round champion. Ah, so it's like a decathlon with different sports. Season two, the focus has shifted to ten winter sports. All different activities from season one. Featured celebrity guests include three-time X Games champion Max Parrott in snowboarding, Olympic gold medal winner Derek Para from speed skating, and world champion Sarah Henriksen of ski jumping. The series was originally created by NRK in Norway, where, as best I messed, it was hugely successful, winning a Prick Jeunesse as well as the International Emmy Kids Award for non-script entertainment. Marvel Media acquired the format rights for a North American version of the program from Beta Film. The Canadian series is a Marvel Media production for BYUT. Oh, Brigham Young Television. Oh, man. Brigham Young University TV. I haven't heard that in a while because of Battle of uh, the the Generate Battle of the Ages. We talked about that uh, game show way, way, way back. I They have this show? I might have to give this a watch. All right. Uh, TVO Kids, so TV Ontario Kids, and Canada's Knowledge Network. Producers are Marble Media's co-CEO and executive producer Matt Hornberg, Mark Bishop, and Steve Sloan from Marble Media, Michael Dunn, Andrea Johnson-Duke, and Jim Bell from BYU-TV, and Marnie Malabar from TVO. The recommissioned announcement comes ahead of season one premieres of All Round Champion. Okay, so March 19th is the first season of All Round Champion. Uh, in TVO in Canada, March 25th, series will also air on the Knowledge Network this summer. So this is a season two announcement before season one even aired. I'm going to have to watch this show. This sounds actually really cool. Commenting on the New Deal, Humberg said, we mainly saw something very special in this format and delighted our partners to be able to TV and TV. kids agree and have the confidence to greenlight season two well ahead of a season one premiere. At a time when the worldview seems that teenagers are glued to their devices, the series reveals, I mean, you're going to watch on a smartphone, kid. Um... When, when a, at a time when the world view seems that teenagers are glued to their advices, this series reveals the passion and dedication that young people can bring to a sport and shows that what can be achieved if you try something new. I like that. That's exactly what I was thinking this is. It's the imagine you're a great basketball player. You've been playing basketball your whole life. And now it's, hey, why don't you try baseball for a second? Just try it or try air like try ice hockey, something like that. That sounds fun to me. 
Uh, BYU's TV's done added. We're proud to make an early commitment for a second season and hope that it continues to be successful years to come. The format brings the best of these talented children, allowing their characters to shine and celebrating their generosity of spirit towards each other. I am hopeful that, amongst other things, the show will encourage more kids and their families to try new activities. That's exactly what I was thinking when I was hearing about this format. This feels like um like a Sports Illustrated for Kids reality show where it's these kids who are like in high school age and they they definitely know i was thinking like that you know like they're actually like pretty well versed in a sport like they can safely say like if it was just a a like it was just a tennis competition they would ace the tennis competition so something tells me because it's 11 episodes uh each episode one of these kids is definitely the best in that and they're gonna get like maybe they're gonna be like trying to help everyone else figure out the game and different techniques and then there's like a little sports like because these are all well-established sports the comp the challenge team doesn't really have to do much it really is just like play by the basic rules of the sport like this is simplistic sports oriented game show that is definitely family friendly because it's on byu tv but also one that's very crafty with the way it's going to probably present itself I need to know how that presents. I need to know, like, is there going to be how much confessional cam is there? How much of it is going to be sports, like broadcasting voice, man? Or how much is it going to be like a decathlon? Because it's 10 different sports events and it's 11 episodes. So maybe there's like an 11th event. I don't know. But this sounds really cool and really fascinating. And I might want to look into this. Even though it is on a, a a weird network like BYU TV and TVO in Ontario, this could theoretically be one of those underrated sleeper hits that you may not hear about now. But if there is a ball rolling or there is a way to <coughs> acquire it through um, uh, fancy means, uh, like an Amazon, Netflix, iTunes, whatever... Uh, this could be one of those uh, shows that you might see in PE classes <laughs> across uh, North America. So I applaud it so far. I, I think this was a good note to end on. We ended with we ended with actually some pretty cool format points. I'm actually on board with that. And now let's start today's episode. I've started, so I'll finish. Might not be a correct thing to say in the bedroom, but any regular viewer of Mastermind will know that's one of the show's iconic catchphrases when one Magnus Magnuson would coin the term. But Mastermind is more than that. We see Mastermind as a British game show. Uh, Americans may not even have heard of it, but Mastermind is the definitive quiz show. And it's not just a piece of British broadcasting history, it's a piece of world history as well, especially given its origin story with creator Bill Wright. 
I'm going to now read a passage from the Express in an article about uh, Mastermind. Uh, this is written by Chris Roycroft Davis from January 31st, 2018. The sinister music fades away. The lights go down, and suddenly they're all alone in that darkened room. One by one, as a dazzling spotlight shines brightly in their faces, their hearts race as the adrenaline pumps and the ordeal begins. They are all very worried they might say the wrong thing. It is ever occurred to you that Mastermind, one of Bryn's most loved TV quiz shows, bears a striking similarity to those old Prisoner of War films? Then give yourself a point, because you are right. The man who developed Mastermind in 1972, former RAF gunner Bill Wright, based it on his own real-life experience at the hands of the Gestapo in the Second World War. That's right, folks. This is a game show based on World War II interrogations. Bill was shot down over Germany, and because Hitler's secret police were convinced he was a spy, they interrogated him for three weeks. Three weeks. Uh, sitting in a solitary chair in a darkened room, all he could do was endlessly repeat his name, rank, and serial number, which every prisoner of war was obliged to give his captors. Luckily for him, his identity as a serviceman was eventually confirmed and the interrogations had ceased. On his return to Britain after World War II, he worked at the BBC in a junior role and eventually rose to become a producer. Years later, Bill drew on his memories of the Gestapo to create Mastermind. The Germans' demands for name, rank, and serial number became Mastermind's name, occupation, and specialist subject. He kept the menace of the darkened room, the spotlight, and the intimidating lone chair, and host Magnus Magnuson was billed as interrogator. The first series went out late on the Sunday night, but didn't attract a huge audience. Then it was moved to a primetime slot as an emergency replacement for a Leslie Phillips sitcom, Casanova 73, which had been moved to a later time following complaints about its risque content. Oh no, political correctness, am I right? Mastermind, with its memorable theme tune called Approaching Menace, became an instant hit. Bill produced the program himself until he eventually passed away from motor uh, neuron disease at the age of 68 in the year 1980. Only one thing has changed from Bill's original concept. The contestant specialized subjects have become less highbrow. So much so that the current producer, Mark Helsby, has now revealed that three topics have been banned. Black Adder, Bother Ted, and Faulty Towers, because all possible questions of them have been exhausted. When he first wondered, Nancy Wilkinson was crowned in 1972. Her chosen subjects were French literature, European antiques, and the history of music. Compare that to today. Last year, more than 250 people applied to answer questions on Harry Potter. Only one of them gets accepted. Other subjects which have been vetoed in the past because they were deemed unsuitable include routes to anywhere in mainland Britain by road from Leakwith, cremation practices and law in Britain, the banana industry, orthopedic bone cement in total hip replacement, and perfect squares from 992 to 9,801. Every series gets through more than 6,000 questions, but there's only one black chair. Or is there? In fact, the second one's kept in a lock and key under the, near the Manchester studio in case a replacement is needed in a hurry. There is tight security because the chair was once kidnapped by a group of students during the BBC crew's meal break and held to ransom to raise money for charity. 
Incidentally, the original black chair was given to Magnus. I've started, so I'll finish Magnuson as a memento when he retired from the show in 1997. The current host, Today Program presenter John Humphreys, says being successful on Mastermind is not so much about brains as it is memory. You couldn't argue that it's a great intellectual challenge, he said. You've got to be able to take the pressure, sitting in that bloody chair, but it's a challenge of memory and that's it. Contestants might not agree. In 2004, barrister Sean Wallace became the first black winner. When I won, I was crying for two to three minutes, he said. To me, as far as black people are concerned, this is the equivalent of Neil Armstrong taking the first steps on the moon. People have this perception that black people can only excel at sport, can only reach a certain level in terms of administrative posts in the police force. Well, guess what? I broke a concrete ceiling. He is now one of the resident chasers on another game show, ITV's The Chase. The highest overall mastermind score was 41 points set by Kevin Ashman at J5, who is specialist subject of the life of Martin Luther King. Ashman also holds the record for highest ever score on Brand Perrin and has been a member of Egghead since the BBC series began in 2003. In 2010, during edition of Mastermind Champion Champions, Jesse Honey scored a record 23 out of 23 on Flags of the World in the specialist subject round. He finished runner-up to a combined score of 36, losing only because he had two more passes than the winner in the general knowledge round. The record for lowest score is held by Simon Curtis and Steve Ferry, who scored only one point on the life and times of Jim Carrey and Three Years World, respectively. I feel like I'm about to say this again. The lowest overall score was three, said my Parasport athlete Kadena Cox, who only got three right in Arsenal Football Club, and is the only contestant ever to score zero in a general knowledge round. What we're about to talk about today is Mastermind, a piece of World War II history and basically the original hot seat game show. When we think of a quiz show with, with dramatic lighting and tension, we think of Millionaire, but mastermind came first a ticking clock a spotlight dark lighting in a world where game shows is still bright colors game show prizes hurrah hurrah this was tense this was no nonsense this was question 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 until you either panicked or you gave up either way this was a game that tested you on your limits and it was a game that was an everyday quiz. We're now going to talk about that with my friend Brian. So let's turn the tables. Name? Um, uh, Brian Henniger. Occupation? Podcast guest. And your specialized subject? Mastermind. The iconic BBC quiz show, debuting from 1972 to present. Here is Mastermind in two minutes. Magus Magnuson presented the program Mastermind from 1972 till 1997. Before having that career, he was a journalist writing for Scottish Daily Press and what other newspaper found in Edinburgh? The Daily Express. The Scotsman. Nancy Wilkinson won the very first series of Mastermind. Her three specialist subjects were French literature, European antiques, and the history of what subject? Music. Correct. The first celebrity Mastermind special was broadcast 30th of December 2002, with the winner being Jonathan Meads. What was his expert subject? Um, pause. 
Uh, what actor, famous for portraying the Doctor, presented the trophy to the winner of the one-off Doctor Who special of Mastermind in 2005? Christopher Eccleston. Correct. Judith Lewis won the 2019 Mastermind Grand Final with a final score of how many points? 35. 28. From 2001 to 2002, Mastermind was presented by what actor and comedian famous for hosting Whose Line Is It Anyway? Clive Anderson. Correct. Since 2003, John Humphreys has presented Mastermind while also serving as a writer and journalist. What was the name of his 2019 book of memoirs? Um, I've started, so I'll finish. A Day Like Today. Mastermind's creator, Bill Wright, got inspiration for his quiz show as a former RAF gunner who was struck in a Gestapo in the Second World War while interrogated in what country for three weeks? Germany. Correct. Uh, instead of the term contestants, what are the names of the players in the game of Mastermind called? Contenders. Correct. What two-word title is given to the Neil Richardson song? And not only is the theme tune, but accompanies contenders as they walk to the chair. Approaching Menace. Correct. The works of Sherlock Holmes was the specialist subject of what celebrity contender on the January 2nd, 2004 episode of Celebrity Mastermind? Stephen Fry. Correct. Who is the only chaser from ITV's The Chase to be a champion of Mastermind with their expert subject being FA Cup Finals? Uh, Ann Hegarty. Sean Wallace. The iconic black leather Mastermind chair was a 1969 soft pad lounge chair by what iconic industrial designers? Eames. Correct. The highest score ever recorded on Mastermind was 41, set in 1995 by what contender? Kevin Ashman. Correct. Sir David Hunt, champion... Oh, I started, so I'll finish. Sir David Hunt, winner of Champion of Champions, and also the only champion to serve as a knight, served as British ambassador to what country in 1973? India. It was Brazil, but you scored eight. The one that you passed on <laughs> uh, was... Uh, this first Celebrity Mastermind special was broadcast of December 2002 with winner, winner being Jonathan Meads and his expert subject. It was English architecture, 1850 to 2002. Wow. I also had like six other questions left. Might as well go through them. Just because. Why, why not, right? Why not? I mean, I, I, I mean, we're here and everything. I did write some really good like yeah, I, <laughs> mastermind I, level I, questions. I, I, was, I was very impressed. Uh. <clears throat> Two Minute Drill, the sports-themed American spinoff of Mastermind, was presented by what ESPN personality? Kenny Mayne. Uh, correct. The only person who have ever scored zero points in a single round of Mastermind was what parasport athlete in a game of Celebrity Mastermind? Oh, um... No idea. Pass. It was Kadena Cox... Uh, I can finally can just. This is my pass now at this point. Uh, okay. Disney Q Family Mastermind is the name of the family version of Mastermind and presented by Benjamin Galani and airs on the Disney Channel in what country? India. Correct. What BBC television program was Jimmy Seville's specialized subject on the December 31st, 2004 broadcast of Celebrity Mastermind? Jim will fix it. Uh, no, it was Top of the Pops. Taskmaster creator and assistant Alex Horn appeared on the January 6, 2011 version of Celebrity Mastermind with the expert subject of the life and career of what comedian? Frankie Howard. 
Ken Dodd. In 2019, Mastermind had an Australian version for SBS television presented by what famed journalist and 60 Minutes correspondent? Oh, gosh. Um, I watched it. Um, uh, I can't remember her name. Jennifer Byrne. Yes. And then yeah, what and artist who worked with Caffness Glass constructed, developed, and engraved the very first Mastermind trophy, the iconic glass bowl, and has continued to produce the engravings of the bowl since? Um, um, David Hockney. Dennis Mann. But <laughs> that was – I wrote like – when you said, I want this to be the bit, I want this to be the, the introduction sequence to the Mastermind episode, I had to do it. <laughs> I, I know you do. did, and I was uh, a little surprised that you had all those questions, but you did a good job, and that's why he asked me to do Mastermind on his show today. You did eight, by the way. I would have not gone in like half of those, by the way. <laughs> Like, I would have probably gone, like, maybe four. <laughs> like, maybe oh, four. There are. Um, but that is essentially what Mastermind is. And then, uh, <laughs> actually, to get eight in that two minutes, that would actually probably put you in the top position going into the final round. Yeah, because of the way the show is now. Because, um, well, we'll, 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 we'll get into all that. Um, this is the Mastermind episode. This is the iconic BBC quiz show. Uh, I've already kind of already kind of spilled the beans on why it's such an iconic game show and its history in the quiz. Um, but oh, just remind people in case you forgot. Um, it's created by a guy named Bill Wright. He served in the military and he got interrogated during World War II by Germans. And when they were there, when he was interrogated. It was almost exactly like Mastermind. He had that leather chair. There was a spotlight in his face. And they kept asking him uh, questions about his, his name, his rank, his serial number. And right. that's why when you see the show, they go, what's your name? What's your occupation? What's your specialty subject? Yep. And in and early episodes, just like how they say they're contenders in Mastermind, they don't call it a presenter. They call it an interrogator. Yep, for the first, uh, I won't say like the first two seasons or series, uh, Magnus Magnuson, who was the MC, they um, they said he wasn't the host, he was the interrogator, and the whole the whole idea of the show was intended to be a um, you might say sort of a takeoff on on the on being interrogated during World War Two, and it's. And the idea was, this is like the very first, I would say, in terms of, I mean, like, you can say, like, you can vouch for maybe things like $64,000 question or 21 because spotlight and big money and dramatic. But this also, but I think this was the first real game show I could think of where it was all about the set design and all about that thematic of you're sitting in this chair and there's a spotlight and there's pressure on you to get questions right in two minutes. Yeah, and the whole idea of it was that one of the things is that is that really gets you about it is that there's no big prize. There is no prize at the end. the 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 prize is a is a cut glass crystal bowl, which is considered to be the ultimate prize among really hardcore quizzers. Um, there's and the the host doesn't talk to you. He doesn't try to get to know you. There's no interviewing you. It's 
you're walked out onto the where to the black chair every light is turned off around you and it's just a spotlight on you and it's sort of the anti-game show and i think that might be why it is so you know that might be why it's so popular but for people like me who love trivia and love the idea of it it is it's unlike any other quiz show you'll ever see on television and in a way that kind of makes it good it's the purest of game shows too because it really is just if you get it right you get a point you can pass if you wish but it could cost you going into the next part because 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 the only rule is if there's a tie it goes by the number of passes right and the only yeah and so like the player with the fewest passes moves on to the next round and it's a season long single elimination tournament and it, now I came into this in in, in, a, yeah. in a different way. Bless you. Yeah. Um, I came into this um, watching the John Humphreys version. I have seen some of the Magnus Magnuson versions, but I've I've seen the John Humphreys version for several years, and it's gotten a little. There's been some changes done over the years, which we'll probably get into, but. It has remained pretty basic. The only big difference is used to be, and this was what was so cool, each episode was from a different location. Every single week was a different location. And they went to all these different colleges and universities and schools and great halls and things like that. But they they now film it out at the... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking this up if you don't mind me doing that. Yeah, no problem. The iconic tent. It, the big tent, as I call it. Yes, they film it at uh, the new broadcasting house. Um, and uh, sorry, you're right. It's now called Doc 10, which is the big tent. And now it's in Belfast, Northern Ireland for the new season. But every season now it's a new location, like, almost like Great British Bake Off. The intention of like from town to town, county to county, college to college. Exactly. Now, one of the things that I have enjoyed about watching Mastermind and why I wanted to watch it is that this is a show that we have to be honest probably would not work in America. I th- mm-hmm. well, I mean, like the glass bowl. Like if it's just like you give a glass bowl away. I mean, like if there's like a big prize at the end of the season, I think that'd be one thing. But also, but I like how they don't. I mean, the only argument that I have with the current version of it is they've kind of gotten a bit more wordy with the way they write their questions. I did kind of get into that. I was trying to get a little bit more wordy. Yeah, because originally, because originally, and for a few seasons with John Humphreys, you'd, you'd get maybe 15 to 20 questions in a round, in a two-minute round. Now you're lucky to get 12 questions in a two-minute round. Because they're much, and the, the thing about it is you cannot give an answer until, the, until he finishes the question. And they've done this thing that really kind of bugs me now where he where he'll do he'll, he'll do like a false end to the question. Like I'll give you an example of how one of the of what he would say. He would say something like, um, which Canadian television host is the current presenter of the game show Jeopardy? Before that, he hosted shows including Reach for the Top, Music Bingo, and High Rollers. So like yeah, like the, the first half of it is all he's asking, but the second half, I'm like, you don't need that. It's the Jeopardy clue effect. It's that you need to have the extra bit to make it feel like a much more intelligent question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a Jeopardy, you know, is 
Well, but, but, but Jeopardy is different than Mastermind. It works on Jeopardy. It doesn't quite work on Mastermind. But you've got to say this. It is the only game show in history to be inspired by being interrogated by the Nazis. It is. <laughs> like, you can't really... It, that's, it's such a cultural impact. Like, this is one of those shows where it's like, real life transcended into a game show. And this is not just a game show where it's just being interrogated. This is like some guy's life, and he turned that into this anti-quiz where it yeah. is, oh, you think you know so much about something. You feel like you're the expert. Like, you can really go through everything about, like, a liter like a Shakespeare play or everything right. about colleges yeah. or yeah. sports. Are you sure? Exactly. Um, the the reason why they do it that way, because to kind of go over the um, to go over the, uh, the the basic format of the show is you have four contestants at the top of the show. Contenders, contenders, okay, sorry, four contenders. Uh, I've already ruined it now. I'm, you have I'm to flavor it. They're contenders. Yeah. yeah, four contenders. Now, each of them comes up and they're given two minutes of questions on a specialized subject. And it can be anything. And um, we really mean anything, as long as you can't go too broad or too specific. Precisely. And so they're given two minutes of questions on their specialized subject, a point for each correct answer. Then they then they all come back and they answer two. Now, it used to be two minutes of questions on general knowledge. Now it's two minutes and 30 seconds on general knowledge. Um, and this and the is reason anything. This is pop culture. This is current events, early events. Right. It can be anything. Um, the The reason why they do it that way is they test, but the subject is to test the depth of your knowledge. And then general knowledge is the breadth of your knowledge. So it's like how deep your knowledge is and how far your knowledge is. And, and I like the idea behind that. And it's a catch up. Um, there is no like we double the points in round two. There is no... No, exactly. They they don't do that. Um, they they don't double the points, but there is so much that makes this game fun. Uh, if you're really into quizzing, because sometimes, but it's like some of the subjects these people come up with, it just amazes me. I I've pulled up a list here of some of the more interesting uh, specialized subjects over the years. If I can go over just a few of these, sure thing. I mean, um, this is the cue. This is the key. This is, by the way, the secret ingredient to mastermind. I feel right. is the okay, specialist now, subject. And you'll get. And, and these are people who are people from from some air aspect of ordinary life. You know, they might be a a doctor or a you know a student or whatever. And yet, their subjects on among other things, um, Sir Francis Drake, pre-Socratic philosophy, the Zulu Wars. Uh, Edith Piaf. Let's see the Monaco Grand Prix. Cetaceans, which are aquatic mammals. The TV show Thunderbirds. <laughs> British, okay, British Summer Olympic champions. Let's see, uh, just a few more. Uh, surrealist art, nineteen eighteen to nineteen thirty nine. Uh, let's see. Vikings in Scotland and Ireland from 800 to 1150 <laughs> A.D. They really love their uh... making it very specific. And finally, I'll just well, I, there's one more here. British customs and traditions. <laughs> now, how can you make that? Oh, oh, oh here's one more. 
English history from 1603 to 1714. So we're going like, past what? the Elizabeth era. We're going into I'm like, yeah, it's like uh, it's like right before the um, yeah, it's like after the Great Fire. I'm like, you know, do you want to be a bit more specific with that time period? He was Labor MP from <laughs> MP for Huntingdon, and he like um, or like what did um, like what did Jeffrey Howell, um, the fourth Earl of Oxford, have for his breakfast every morning for 14 years during the 1800s? And they'll know it. It is. <laughs> Oh, man. Now, my personal favorite part of it, though, is the current host of it, the current host of it, uh, John Humphreys, he actually tried to be a bit different because they did the two minutes every, um, sorry, they 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 did the two minute um, thing uh, for both rounds. He would actually talk to the player about their subject for just a few moments. I got some why they liked it so much, stuff like that. I kind of liked that. It is. Now, the thing is, every single presenter of the show of Mastermind had their own distinct person. I would almost say like a crystal maze. Like, it's their diction. It's the way they handle the flavor text on screen when they introduce the players. Because it was Magnus, Peter Snow, Clive Anderson, and John Humphreys. Those are the four. And the main two are Magnus and John. Precisely, yeah. People love Hump. People love the Hump. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, John Humphreys. He, um, I'll never forget. There was one where um, there was a celebrity game I remember watching, and his subject was the TV was the was the cartoon series um, of uh, what was it? Danger Mouse? No, no, not Danger Mouse. Uh, Transformers. Oh wow! And hearing John Humphreys, and you could tell he had no idea what he was reading off of the, off of the card. Like he said, like he said. The, the Decepticons were yeah, found. He said, these are the Autobots and the Decepticons. And what decade did that program first begin adding? What yeah. voiceover artist provided the voice of Soundwave from 1986 to 1988? Uh, Peter Cullen. <laughs> what was so funny was the guy comes back out and he goes, that, and he says, that Transformers program, does everyone on that show have a con in their name? Is that what they have? <laughs> Yeah, it was just like it kind of, but that's what I love. It's like it's highbrow, but also it's not afraid to go lowbrow with the questions. It really is just like when it's lowbrow, it goes way over his head. <laughs> My, <laughs> there was one episode um, that I remember where hearing him, um, and he back when he would interview the contestants, um, they had a contestant on there whose 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 subject was Metallica. <laughs> the music and, of Metallica. Yes, and he did the round, and I'll, I'll send you the link later on if you want to watch it. Of course. But, I always love watching this show. It's always fun to me. But what's so good is that the, the person comes back out, and he says, so it's Metallica. They're in that, uh, they're that heavy metal form of music, are they? <laughs> and he says, and you enjoy it too, don't you? She goes, yes, very much. Why? <laughs> And it's like you can't really figure out the people just like a band. You can't figure that out. Or, or I guess he just doesn't. He just doesn't get. You know, he he doesn't understand. You know why people like heavy metal music or whatever. <laughs> well, I think it's also now, funny because like when you think the expert subjects in in a given game, it's like okay, it's the uh, works of Mark Twain. Then you have like uh, the history of Scottish uh, uh, Scottish folklore. 
Yeah. Then, then you'll the next get. Will come out, it'll be like you know the TV show Black Mirror. Then the TV. I would do the Black Mirror one. I'm pretty sure I could get like the works of Charlie Brooker. <laughs> and, and then the next person would come out and they'd say like their subject is, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, ceramic teapots or something. <laughs> the ceramic teapot is a given away as a, in a prize on what <laughs> Channel Four <laughs> game show? On what Channel Four quiz show? Currently presented by Nick Hewa. <laughs> On what Channel 4 game show presented by Nick Hewer do contestants win a teapot? It's also co-presented by Susie Dent. <laughs> by Susie Dent. It features a segment called Dictionary Corner. Uh, <laughs> that's how it goes. But no, like Mangus. Yeah, you're you're, you're going to hear a lot of um, John Humphrey impersonations here. So just I kind of, is, because you know, Magnus, by the way, so, Magnus is the one, though. He is the one, because I know you yeah. haven't really... You've seen earlier ones, like when he... When he first said that, like, I started, so I'll finish, it yes. wasn't, like, in a way that was kind of like a, oh, well, it happens. It was in a, like, no, fuck you. We're going to continue this for a few yes. seconds. And he actually called his, uh, uh, he actually titled that for his autobiography. He called it, I've started, so I'll finish. And, it was, and, and, and it's a great rule because it's, like, you get a few seconds to breathe on this one question. Right. Yes. I love that. Now, what would get, but now, um, yeah, now see Magnus, he was Scottish. He was actually very much a polymath. He was a professional translator. He could read Norse. He translated, um, he, he was born in Iceland, uh, but he was Scottish. He could translate old Norse. He could translate, um, Icelandic books into English, but apparently he, he hated having to pronounce French. <laughs> he couldn't do French to save his life. So they did a joke episode on April Fool's Day, and they had Stephen Fry writing some questions for him, but he didn't know that was happening. And Stephen Fry made sure that all of his questions had um, had French in them in one round. And they said, hey, it's April Fool's Day. <laughs> and then he's like a little pissed. But the thing is, he has the best sense of humor, though, like outside of Mastermind. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Um, there was a great bit about it where they had a contestant on when he was on uh, during Magnus's run. His subject was um, the sex pistol. And now, see, here's what you don't understand about a British. I say, you know, you, the listener, I think you and I understand, but the listener may not understand. Every so often, you'll probably you probably heard of the phrase. Someone will say, oh, bollocks. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean a lot to us here in America. In England, that's a very serious curse word because it's referring to a certain part of the man's anatomy. And we won't see any more. Well, one of the albums the Sex Pistols did is was called Never Mind the Bollocks. Well, they have to mention that on the show. So what's so funny, and they went out before Watershed, so they couldn't curse. So he says, what was the title track on the album? Never Mind the Beep. <laughs> <laughs> So that's just, but it is one of those shows that, you know, it's kind of like eating collards. Not everyone's into it, but if you're hooked, you're hooked. And it's just a show that I really enjoy because it's just, it, it there's no gimmicks. The The show itself is a gimmick, so it doesn't need to have any gimmicks. It's just, uh, and if, if you can win on Mastermind, that means you're a real good quizzer. 
it really is like and then when it gets to the finals it becomes almost i hate to like bring up recent like jeopardy greatest of all time but it almost feels like that like this is the best of the best the the very very best and when they win the show even though it's just like a glass trophy they become stars like this is like no you're now a top quizzer you are going to make the rounds you're gonna be like on on, you'll be like a ringer on the chase you'll be a ringer on eggheads (laughs) Yeah, you're a ringer in your local quiz, in your local pub quiz league. I mean, you're known. There was a um, the first person to really kind of make that his himself and be known for it was a, was a man named uh, Fred Housego, and he was actually very famous because up to that point, a lot of the people who went on Mastermind, they were you know guys like they were member they were attorneys, they were members of Parliament, they were very you know very high class very posh sort of professions in comes fred house go his job he's a licensed taxi driver he's a cab driver he's and he comes in and he wins the whole thing wasn't this one of his specialized subjects just like routes and like subway tunnels and like uh, no i have it here his his subject for the final was the tower of london Oh whoa! Now that's tough. That's a like because there's a light you can go with the Tower of London, which he selected. I remember because um, he said he selected it because he worked as a tour guide there for a year, so he had to learn all this stuff about the Tower of London just to work as a tour guide. Which, which by the way, that's all allowed. That's allowed <laughs> if you want that to be a specialized subject and it's like something that's niche, but like anyone can solve it. You can do that. Exactly. Um, now, but, but that can backfire on you that can backfire. There was a man who worked as an art professor at a, at a, I want to say it was a secondary school in England and he picks his name was Arthur Hughes. I remember watching him on TV and his subject was, he was, um, it was impressionist and post-impressionist painting of a certain time period. And he was so terrified of being in the mastermind chair he just kept saying pass pass he could not he he just couldn't get locked in on it and they gave him the nickname in the newspapers they called him the disaster mind oh no and i for a while he held the record for the lowest score in the history of mastermind and like you that it, it's kind of just just say like that's the equivalent of getting like real bad red score in Jeopardy because that's exactly. a, I got to say like that's art that's their Jeopardy Mastermind is the Jeopardy of Britain and it's this brilliant show. It is. It's a beautiful. It, it is. It is the show. It's basically saying you know what, you are the brain of your country. You're the top guy, and you're, you will see players really like when they're sitting in that chair and there's that just that one spotlight because that's it that's pretty much the entirety of the set and that's the entirety of like what it is and it's a it's a comfy chair by the way oh yes i i, I used to own a um a replica well, not a replica but a but a look-alike chair and it actually was pretty nice it's um, a, and you'll see them crack like you'll see them just start pass 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 oh yes. oh 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 uh they fall into what uh, they actually have a term for it they call it a pass spiral because you're still thinking about the previous question and like the answer comes to you, but you're not focusing on the current question. You're it's like, you're just, you're, 
you're just going and going and going. And you really have to have the wherewithal to say, okay, you know what? I'm just going to keep going, not going to think about the previous one, and just go to the next one. Some people, it's really hard for them to do that. It's I, I don't know how I would do as a Bashment contestant. I'm just like thinking that right now. But it well, is, let me ask you this: um, If you get picked, if if you know, if you were to be on the show, I what mean, would I've, your okay. subject be? I mean, like, do you want like the semifinals, the 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 qualifier semifinal, or? Oh no! Just in general, like like what would be the, your three specialist subjects? Because there's like, three. If I do rounds. game shows, I feel like that's too vague. Like I feel like because game shows is kind of in my area right now, and I'm not really all in expert. Well, I would pick. I actually know what I would pick. I would pick uh, the ninth. I'd pick American game shows of the 1980s. Because I figure that's that's you know that's pretty good. You know, you can study that basically. I would pick um, Weird Al Yankovic because I'm a huge fan of his music, and I've seen him in concert maybe a dozen, to, I'm sorry, maybe five or six times. And lastly, I would probably pick the history of Nintendo. Well, and then they have a little introduction. Weird Al Yankovic, the parody musician, in two minutes. Yes, and... Well, Albuquerque nowadays, was the last track on the album on what uh, which one of his albums, which also included <laughs> the Force oh, um, Awakens, Running with Scissors. <laughs> <laughs> what well, What was so cool about it was, um, uh, but what, what what they're doing now more than anything is the first question that they will have on the show. The first question in the round will actually kind of explain who the what, like what the subject is. In a way, like like giving example, Weird Al, they'd say, starting now, Weird Al Yankovic is a comedy musician best known for his parodies of various pop songs. He is best known for playing what musical instrument that he began playing as a young boy? Accordion. Correct. <laughs> I think, like, to me, it, it, it's weird. I would say definitely something with game shows, but it'll have to be something like, uh, it would ha- like the life of Bill Cullen, maybe. Yeah, like it would, or, or like like Nickelodeon game shows, something of like yes. niche. If I had to well, go to a niche of that, or uh, I feel like it would have to be, but definitely something like Nightwing comics, like the comic books involving Nightwing, because that could be considered Batman comics too. And then you can branch off in that if it's too specific. Would you consider doing maybe the nineteen sixties Batman series? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so then you'll do like right, Caesar Romero okay. Joker. You'll pick uh the riddler and you'll go into like uh all of those different things i would also probably pick hamburgers 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 because i am hamburger hoss i post a lot of hamburgers on social media oh and there is books on like different regions of hamburgers and the culture that is surrounds hamburgers different places that helm the hamburger uh, and then, like, you have your chain restaurants. Like, which hamburger chain's famous for the a Big Mac? Yeah. Well, um, well, you know, there was a contestant on the Australian, because I've been watching the Australian Mastermind, because all the episodes are coming up on YouTube now, and I've been, and I have binge-watched a bunch of them. One person on that show, his subject was the history of McDonald's. You talk about that, but... but it's a uh, little tough person. to do the history, because you got to go through the Ray Kroc era... You have to go through the uh, the invention of things like the filet fish 
uh-huh. because which Fridays, was invented, uh, which was invented because of uh, the Catholics. Then you have your Makula idea. I've never even heard of the Makula. It was the chan- It was basically the idea was how do you sell a, a vegetarian option hamburger? So let's just put a grilled pineapple. Oh no! Oh no! That was a hula burger. Yeah. Yeah, the hula burger. I know they had one that was the McLean where they replaced all the fat with uh, seaweed extract. Uh, then there's things like the f- then you do your flops, your McDLTs, your Arch Deluxes, your McPizzas. But then you can go into history of Happy Meal toys like the teeny the teeny beanie baby or uh, the the Disney promotions. Or and then you have promotions in general like the uh, the McDonald's Monopoly started in what what decade? And you can say the 80s. Yeah, exactly. One of the things that I enjoy about it is, but one of the things I like now, can we talk just for a second about the American version? A two minute drill. Yeah. Um, that was a sports version because Michael Davies had, um, had brought who wants to be a millionaire to America. And he was on, um, Let's see. And he was basically, you know, at the top of the world. He was the biggest man in the history of television at um, at that point, basically. And he so he he wrote a blank check. He said, OK, do whatever you want to do. So they called in. Um, so said, well, so ESPN said, well, can you make a show for us? So he brought Mastermind to um Sorry he, sorry, he brought Mastermind to America, and it was called the Two Minute Drill. Based off everyone's favorite sports segment in football, the Two Minute Drill. Yeah, the Two Minute Warning. Um, it was kind of weird when they first did it because, uh, let's see, the um, the first well, the first was the the three contestant round was yeah, season one was three contestants. And they had they had four uh, different celebrities or sports players, and you get, and they each had different categories. You had to call off of them, and they had like a total of sixteen possible questions. In the next round, it was two minutes, and it could be from anybody. But the specialist subject was at the very very end, where you got a question that was about your specialist subject in the world of sports. And in this, it does hold a very unique uh, distinction. I don't I don't and I don't even know if you know what this is. Is it like debt? No. um, The distinction is it was the only non-news program to air on ESPN on September 11th, 2001. Whoa. I remember distinctly ESPN was only they 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 stopped doing sports that day and they only talked about the attacks and everything. And then for reasons that nobody quite knows, they cut away for 30 minutes to show two minute drill. Then they went right back to the news coverage. It wasn't debut. Was it was, I don't know if the debut of two minute drill was September 11. I'm sorry. What was that? If the debut of two minute drill was September 11. Oh no, 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 no. It was, it was just that week's episode. And I guess that was, that kind of shows how little, uh, they, uh, they had, uh, in their mind of it because they were just, they were just doing like the, they were just doing like the burn off of it because I think they just wanted to get it rid of that second season and be done with it because the first season it's it it, it, it uh, went on it was pretty good the ratings were okay but the ratings kind of steadily went down and down and down and down. i still have the two minute drill pc cd rom game 
Oh, I had it, and then the the disc quit working for some reason. It, uh, oh no! Try installing it, and then like you play it once, and then it crashed. Yes. Also, um, it's really weird when you're when you try to say what your specialist subject is, and they don't have it. Yeah, and it was always because they always did like really a really you know basic stuff like you know, oh, 80s football or 90s basketball or whatever. Come I mean, on, you know who was the coach of the Boston Celtics in 2000, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> the Boston Celtics coach in 2000s, you know, right? Doc Rivers. <laughs> Maybe that would be that'd be interesting, was it? I, I don't I, I don't know because I will check it out. Uh, the the head coach of the year two thousand uh, was uh, Rick Pitino. Rick Pitino, ah yes, the um, hair oil man used to he coached uh, out in um, out in Kentucky for a while. That's so, <laughs> so weird. Oh. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He was the guy who um, had that famous uh, line of um, Rick Mahalo. Sorry, it was what was it? Uh, Larry Bird isn't walking through that door. Kevin McHale isn't coming through that door. And if they do, they're going to be gray and old. <laughs> it was so. It's just such an. Uh, I feel. It just feels. Makes me feel bad sometimes. Like. Because yeah. it's like, I, I think you could have done a Mastermind Sports version, but it wouldn't have been this. Yeah, well, they well, well they did a mastermind, a, a sports Mastermind for one year in England. In 2007, they did Sport Mastermind, and uh, Des Lynam, the famous sports commentator over <laughs> from Match of the Day, was the host of it. And then um, it was... Uh, yeah. There have been versions of it in multiple countries. There was one in New Zealand, one in Australia. There was one in Ireland. There was an international mastermind featuring champions from all of those masterminds. Yep, and they got the Australian host of Hugh Hugh Davis to to host it. And they did two and a half minutes on each subject for that one. And they did it from the Sydney Opera House. Which, if you're going to do it, you may as well do it from there, right? If you're going to be Australia... I mean, like, uh, uh, can't really figure out any more Australian than inside that opera house. Yes. But it is a show that, I mean, if you just want to see a, a real hardcore quiz show, you cannot do much better than Mastermind. Because it is the most basic quiz that is out there. Um. One thing that I do enjoy about it and why I, I like it is that while it is tough and while they, they treat the contestants, you know, they're, you know, it's not touchy feely and everything. They never, ever talk down to the contestant. You're, they never make them feel bad. No, they, they always make them feel like, you know what? You are probably, you know, it's like they'll say to them, Okay, you know what? You're here. That means you're smart. And, and actually, a- didn't one of her? Fr- I think Sam Hodkin recently aired went on Mastermind. Our friend Sam Hodkin. He, I, I, I think he did. Uh, he did pretty one. well. He didn't win necessarily, but he was re- like I would say, like if it was like any other fleet of contestants, he would have won that episode. 
His special subject was the Book of Mormon, not the not the musical, like the actual book. <laughs> and really, he did pretty well. <laughs> It was like by three points, like a three point. And when it's close like that, you know, you have a great episode. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then, of course, we got to talk just for a second about that music. Oh, you you want to talk about the iconic. You want to talk about it. We did talk about uh, for, for like at the beginning of the show. I feel like everything we've already brought up in like for Approaching Menace, the Neil Richardson yes. song. Which sounds like something out of a horror movie. Do 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 do. Dun 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 And it's just like do and it and then it's like when it gets that sank part of that big stance, it feels like yeah, you're like in a war movie. Like this is the war moment. This is. You're in battle. It's like a real battle of the brains. My, the, the one thing I like about that music, though, is that, that they, they've been using that music in 1972. So Still. it sort of predated Who Wants to Be a Millionaire's dramatic soundtrack by 25 years almost. And it's just this, like, it's almost like a walk to the gallows. Like, this dun done <laughs> yeah yeah, it, yeah what's so funny is that they actually because used to be there was no music as they walked they just got up and, you, and all you heard was like the just like the sound of their shoes hitting up to the chair but and then sometimes it, then when they had the audience <laughs> yes because there's like one guy who wants to clap and they and they're like no don't yeah, so no, it's in. after the min- the bell. It's after the bell. <laughs> so they get in and they sit down. But now they actually play like the underscore the doom, doom, and then they then then and then they shut the lights off as soon as they sit down. And and depending on the season, because the Humphreys version, almost like every season so far has a different set. Like they had the weird tunnel. They had the tunnel entrance. Yep, they they did that with the floating had- numbers. Right. They actually did something um, for a few seasons. They tried to do the graphics in that augmented reality. Which I loved. Where it's like, it's computer graphics, but it's designed to look like it's solid. And, and, and like, it's actually there. Like, they'd pan the camera up and you'd see like a 3D mastermind. Almost like a, a what looks like a glass mastermind logo, but it's just, you know, a CGI graphic there. I mean, I need um, that now. I think they do that I, some in sports I, broadcasts. They do though, that. I have been... Um, but I'll tell you this, the, the best part of it is watching the celebrities. Because well, it's do a celebrity, celebrity doing it. It's somewhat. <laughs> and I like Celebrity Mastermind because of the fact that a lot of the content, because when it's a celebrity version, they are there. It's it still played the same as normal Mastermind, at least from what I see. But they somehow have a level of intelligence added to it that is like when they pick their specialist subject, it's no, this is really what they are. They're really experts in this. Exactly. The one that I actually thought was funny was um, they had is it, there, there's a famous um, British pop starlet, uh, starlet from the 60s named, um, let's see, her name is Sandy Shaw who's best known for having a, big, a hit song called Puppet on a String. 
who won the Eurovision Song Contest, and she's a famous pop star over there. Her subject was Nichiren Buddhism. And you just like, like you would never think that, would you? To be no. But, um, now you get a lot of people who are experts on because they they had Ricky Hatton, the famous boxer. Uh, his subject, if I remember correctly, was uh, the TV show um, Only Fools and Horses. And or you'll get like some comedian whose subject is, you know, warplanes of World War Two. And you're like, wow, it's like it, 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 it in a way it kind of humanizes them a little bit. Because it's not like a, a lowbrow category that they pick. Now, I mean, like I'm the one going Batman comics and the Batman like anything Batman. Well, no, I mean, you, you, you always pick the subject that you think you're going to know well. I mean, don't think you have to pick something intelligent to impress people because because if you're there to play, you're there to win. You know, I mean, so you have to pick the one that is going to help you win. And. Uh... One of the like, then you can go with like compute. You can, you know, what's weird is I think modern day you can do like even go as far as to say like internet series, like internet culture. You can go or with like YouTube, um, like YouTube program, YouTube programs. Uh, I was thinking like, what would it be like the way to say like things like when you that that nineties two thousand era internet in 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 apps. So it's things like when people use Napster and people or were. Like, um, or like internet file sharing. Yeah. But then you have to figure like who is the names behind the faces and that's I'm waiting for someone to have like their subject be something like um you know, be something like the angry video game nerd. <laughs> who 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 played Bugs Bunny when James Rolfe uh dumped fake poop on his face? <laughs> Just to hear John Humphrey say it. <laughs> right in the middle. Um, I've started, so I'll finish. <laughs> what was I've the started, Or he'll say, I've started, so unfortunately I must finish. <laughs> this angry video game nerd. What makes him so angry? And what makes him a nerd? What's a nerd? <laughs> <laughs> they they had one contestant on there who she had mentioned in her interview in the uh, information before her show that she was really into LARPing. Which, if you don't know what LARPing is, it's a live-action role-playing, stuff like that. And so he had her explain, like, what it was and how it works and everything. And he said, oh, all right. Um, it was very why? Alex Trebek. It was very Alex Trebek when he was explaining nerdcore rap <laughs> to him. And then, yeah. And, and, and he said, why? And then she just goes, because it's fun. And it's better than, you know, getting drunk every night. And he said... Oh, well, I would give you credit for that. Absolutely. <laughs> and then it goes straight to general knowledge, and it, that is the real round. That, and sometimes that, I'm, I'm going to – I hate to always bring up the chase. It seems like every single time we talk about British Game Show, the chase has to be brought up in some regard. Well, there have been, I think, two of the chasers. I know Sean Wallace because he won. Yeah, and Ann Higgerty was on there as well. She did not win. Now, no, she, no, she didn't win, which kind of surprises me a little bit. She is unbelievably smart. Um, also, a all, pride of the game show world. Like, she shows up to a lot of game show events and everything. Yeah. 
I got to meet her at, um, I met her at Tikona one year, was unbelievably intelligent. And she's very sweet, too. That's the funniest thing. I heard she is like the sweetest person. <laughs> oh, and she then, is. And she, then it's she like, really, oh. really is. And now it's like, now imagine it's like, all right, Anne, we're back on the chase in five, four, three, two. Oh, Becky, you think you're going to win that vacation? Well, I think it's time that your flight gets over, gets a, a flight delay. It's, like, it's not your flight to be canceled. About to, I'm about, oh, it's wonderful you want to uh, go on a nice shopping excursion. Too bad you're going to uh, exceed your Count credit that. limit. <laughs> and then you're just and, like, and, why is he, why is she so mean? <laughs> Well, well, it's like wrestling, you know, they, they know when to play the heel and they know when not to play the heel. And then it's like, but then it's like, and, and I guess we both know, cause we both come from res- like some wrestling background. The funniest thing is most of the people who are heels in, in, in wrestling are actually like the nicest people in real life. Oh, they are. They like, are. Like the op, like flip opposite. And then sometimes the baby face good guys are actually kind of the... <laughs> The I would hate to say push offs a bit, but yeah. I'm not I'm not yeah. saying they all are because I mean you have to figure out the road and all that, but <laughs> right. Um, but now one of the things about Mastermind, the last thing I think we need to talk about it, and we talked about the theme, and I think we we talked about I think almost everything that you can talk about, but you know, and so the the next segment that you do is uh, basically you know is how to do it in america is that what we always that do is. for this that's how we do it should there be an american version if so how i think i actually know how you could do it um first thing i would do is find a pretty big sponsor to underwrite the top prize for it which you know you could do and do it as a weekly show on pbs Ooh, and the reason why is because pbs has no commercials so you can go straight through that forty-four minutes. Yeah, uh, you know, we'll 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 just do it as a thirty-minute show, and there's no commercial breaks. And or the other option is, what if you did it on one of these new streaming services that's popping up? Now you can't do Quibi. You can't do Quibi. That's ten minutes. But you could definitely well, you do Netflix, like, uh, Amazon. Do you do it on BritBox? Ooh, the Brit box. Yeah, which would be kind of a neat idea. Um, since Disney Channel airs it, you can do it on Disney Plus. But but the one I'm thinking of more than anything is Hulu. Hulu would work because Hulu, like I said, has no commercials. And also, what would make it great, in my opinion, is with uh, with uh, with the streaming services is. You know, you can do niche programming on the internet, on streaming, that's different than, you know, broadcast television. So if we, so if the show is coming to America, who do you think would be a great host for it? I mean, that's the thing. It's like, it depends. See, for me, I already have my version in play. Uh, by with me. Uh, no, uh, I would say someone that has to be like a journalist. I would think so too. Like, I'm thinking someone like Mo Rocca. Mo Rocca could definitely be one. Uh, Pat Kiernan. Pat Kiernan. Uh, Pat Kiernan would actually be a great one. Um, 
I was thinking, uh, you got to think someone who is, I uh, see, I have to come from like, I, we hate to get political on this show, right? We don't want to get too political, but we need someone who's like a debate moderator kind of voice, like a journalist who has that debate style interrogation with them. Maybe Anderson Cooper. Like Anderson Cooper. Um, who, well, the reason like, why I mentioned that? Pat Karen. Okay, no. Um, let's see. Uh, maybe. Let's see. If I'm going to go Maddox, like, I was going to go like, uh, like, like if I if I had to pick one right now, I mean, like, I was going to say like Brian Williams from MSNBC and formerly of NBC News to try and change his image. Um, well. That that might work, you know. Just make sure that yeah. But the thing is, if he said you got the question right, could you believe him? <laughs> David Muir, maybe from ABC World News oh, Tonight. Oh, that would be good, David Muir. Not George Stephanopoulos. I think he's a little too public persona. Yeah, but David yeah. Muir, because he's yes, a little. He wouldn't be too good. He's serious. He's a serious journalist. Yes, and um, but the reason why I, I thought Pat Kiernan is they did this show on VH1 a couple years ago, the World Series of Pop Culture. Oh, I thought you were going to bring up Studio 7, which also works in this case. But hearing him the, was just hearing him in this very dry, very, you know, very not banal, but just very dry, emotionless question reader voice saying, come on, baby, tap that ass. Come on now, tap it for me. <laughs> And because it's like a song lyric category, and I'm like, if he can stay serious about that. My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard is a lyric of the song Milkshake performed by what musician in 2003? Oh, um, I'm Oh, time is up. That was Kellis. You got four right. <laughs> and. One of the things, but so, uh, and what I would do is, because I like the idea, because uh, that that is a season long tournament, and what you'd have to do is at the is at the finale of the year, the finale would have to be in a in a location like, you know, in Madison Square Garden, like at the at the theater they have there, or you know the uh, Radio City Music Hall, or. Uh, heck, you could do it like it if it was on Disney Plus. Do it, you know, in front of Cinderella's castle at Disney World. You know, somewhere really special. But it's just an amazing show. And if you are curious about, you know, British game shows in general, Mastermind is a great place to start. All right. Here's where I would go. Okay, go for it. Because now we're going to go into Jordan's world. Because I have been thinking about this for three years at this point. Okay. This has been one of those game shows that must be like tipping point. Like when we were talking tipping point. Like this is one of those. Yeah. It is. You have to do a cash prize. There's no going around it. If you're going to um, do half hour, it's going to be 22 minutes. Which means you have to truncate the time to 90 seconds each round. Which is doable. It's okay to do 90 second rounds. Well, either that or you could expand it to to an hour and just, you know, expand the interviews and things like that in between rounds. Which I was going to, that was my, that was my back and forth. It's your 90 seconds per round and it's 90 seconds, 90 seconds. That's end of act one, act two, 90 seconds, 90 seconds. We finish the specialized subjects. Then we go 
Act Three, because because in the half hour world of Wheel of Fortune Jeopardy, it's a four act structure. Two, 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 two. You're done. Because uh, we finish our second half, will the will our top two contenders catch up? Find out next on Mastermind. Uh, the winner of that gets five thousand dollars, and they move into semifinals where they're playing for fifty thousand. And the trip to the final finals is half a million dollars. And the glass trophy. There you go. See, um, I had a different idea. If you're going to do hour long, it's t- it's going to be two minutes, two minutes, two minutes, two minutes, two minutes. But you're going to have video packages. Yeah. You're going to have that. Hi, my name is Jordan Haas from Los Angeles, California. I'm a podcaster. And in my spare time, I love reading Nightwing comic books. Man, I love reading comic I have a lot of Nightwing stuff. Dick Grayson's one of my favorite comic book characters. Got his start in the Batman comic books like Batman and Robin. And then he became Nightwing in the New Teen Titans in July 1989. 1984, sorry. And that's why, you know, he's a great character, and that's why I appreciate reading his comic books. He's still doing stuff to this day. Hmm. And then it's like, like you see all the stuff, you have all the fun stuff. Now you have, like, that 90-second package, and then you go that step forward. Do, 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 do. (laughs) Do, do. (laughs) Hmm. That's, That's not too bad. I like that. Because remember, if you're going into an hour long, you're either doing a six-act structure or an eight-act structure. So if you're going to do eight, because if you're going to do Mastermind, that means you're having eight rounds of quiz. You can do eight-round structure. That's true. When So when we when you because when i said half hour think like act one act two act three act four game i'm telling to the viewers right now because it's like it break into four groups like when you see jeopardy it's single jeopardy first half let's get to know the contestants let's continue the single round then a double jeopardy round going into final jeopardy and final jeopardy is act four wheel of fortune's the same way round one round two and slash round three then we go into a toss-up three to get to the f- fourth round slash fifth round in a toss-up. And then the bonus round is act four. So you have the, your four-act structure that way. In a game show, it's either six-act or eight-act. Uh, six-act, meaning something like, uh, what would be a nice example here? Uh, say something like Press Your Luck, maybe? Right. Like Press Your Luck has six-act structure because it's, uh, quest, question round one, round one. Then they cut to commercial break. Then it's round two. Uh, question one, go to the big board. Lead up to com- uh, third commercial break. Go into commercial break four, which is the start of the first half of the back half of the bonus round, five and six. It also is an eight-rack structure if you consider things like Pyramid. Game one, wheel, winner circle one. Game two, winner circle two. That's the end of the first half, and now we get two new celebrities and do another for break. Right. So if you're going to do that structure, video package, two minutes. Video package, two minutes. Video package, two minutes. Video package, two minutes. And then you cut to the second half. Let's catch up. So in the first half, you got four right. What do you need to do? What do you wish you got? All right, here you go. Your two minutes start now. 
Dude, 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 dude. Perfect. But, um, now see, I have a different idea. So, because the, the, the way I would do it is I would do, uh, it would be four contestants and do it, because if, if we're, if we're going to do it, you know, because you, you're right, it would have to be an hour. But it would be the, the winner of the first heat, the quarterfinals, would win. Like, the three players that don't make it would get, you know, a consolation prize, like $1,000. For being there, yeah. The winner moves on to round number two. And there, so, the way we do it is, is there'll be twenty-four qualifying rounds, and there'll be twenty-four winners who would play six semifinal rounds. The players that lose in the semifinals each take home five thousand dollars. Okay. And the six finalists would win. Um, I, the and this is the way my mind is. It would be the um, the second and it would be the first and like it would build up and build up, but the winner would win the would win, but the but but the final would be six players, and because you have six of them, you do a two and a half minute general knowledge round because there's so many, there's a higher possibility of a tie, and. That, in my opinion, would make it what would make it work. Um, and but, you know, it, I, I, I'd love to see some network try it, because if you watch it once or twice, you will get into it, because in many ways, it's fun just seeing people and just seeing these people and just seeing like, how do they know so much about this weird subject? And you're just sitting there kind of kind of, you know you know, watching them do it, then uh, general knowledge, you try to guess along with them. But it's even better if it's a subject you know a little bit about, so you can try to play against them. <laughs> That's fun. It works, and I love it. And it's that it's that general knowledge, it's that Jeopardy level of questions, but also because it's such a speed round game and easy of one point per correct, no penalty for wrong answers, but if you pass, there could be a penalty if you tie. Right, right. And and you see a meltdown. Because as much as we say how simple the format is, people melt down all the time. And it's... To me, I like that some, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Because some people, they get in that chair and they just freeze. They just completely just lock up. And but also to the same token, some people absolutely thrive in that environment. They thrive under that pressure and they they see like a spotlight in a back blue. Um I just realized something. I know I know we're winding down the episode. I just realized something. I hate it almost feels like I'm just like ending on a, like a I just realized. Mastermind has always had that Eurovision that Euro style font. In it's scoring that's like common yes. deal or no deal in a lot of like mid 2000s game shows uh-huh and now it's doing impact font the reason why they're doing that is they're trying to go back to the on-screen graphics from the 1972 version of mastermind that uh that impact but then i always think apprentice i mean they're 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 trying to do the on-screen graphics in a more minimalist fashion 
because they're trying to do a almost you might say a celebration of the original mastermind with Magnus Magnuson. That's how it was explained to me by a friend of mine who knows a bit more about this than I do. I, I could see it because it's just a giant circle with an M. Yeah, that's their logo. <laughs> And it just there's just so much about this show, Brian. Um, I mean, we could sit here, you know, for hours and talk about this show. So mine's Nightwing Comics, Hamburgers, and Game Shows. Yep. But, um, Brian, we have one final question. Yes, sir. If you were a contestant on Mastermind and you made it through the qualifier, the semifinals, and the finals, what would your three expert subjects be? Okay. Can it okay in 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 any order, or do it have to be in order? You can put it in any order you like. Okay. Well, I my first. Well, one of them would be nineteen eighties TV game shows. Got That'd be one of show. them. Yep. Uh, Weird Al Yankovic. Weird Al. And the 1960s Batman television show. Batman TV. Who played Commissioner Gordon on the uh, Batman TV show in 1966? Gosh. Oh, man. Well, if you had an ad on that, I could have told you. <laughs> Commissioner Gordon, a Stafford rep. Uh, you know what? I I think you were. I think you're right. I thought I think it's Neil Hamilton. That was Neil Hamilton. No, yeah, Neil Hamilton. Yeah, Stafford Rep was um, Chief, well, was uh, Chief O'Hara. O'Hara. Um, but we got it. Uh, <laughs> also, like I would just know like Burt Ward, like the Holies with every one of those. Um, that's that's about it, really, with Mastermind, yeah. an iconic game show. Brian, is there anything you would like to promote or plug? Well, I'd like to plug just a few things. Uh, first of all, the, my main show, which is uh, Pixel Nation on uh, 8.3 Studios. If you check that out, my video game podcast we do. Um, rest, I'm a buddy, Brian Zane's Wrestling With Regret, with a W at the beginning of the word regret. Make sure you have that in there. Uh, musical Hell by Christine Easterly. Great stuff there. Um, our mutual friend Mike Klaus and Dino Alexander, their podcast, uh, It Was a Thing on TV, which please let me be a guest on that show. <laughs> and uh, also uh, coming up next month in uh, February of 2020, I'll be doing bringing back my third season of Millionaire Online that I cannot way to host and hopefully you'll be on as a guest i mean the fun thing was i was like last time you did this was like season two quote unquote and this was just like a spur of the moment i jumped in like i would not go in prepared and i did pretty well in that version of millionaire i think i got to the hundred twenty five thousand dollar level oh you did you did and, and i thought i was gonna crap out like i really thought like okay i'll get to the thousand and then i'll probably like lose at eight thousand because that's usually how i go with millionaire no no you did you did well actually it, it really but then again it's like it's weird being the contest in the perspective of a contestant on on these game shows exactly because you were host, you were also read probably some of those questions, and it was like a, oh, it's, it's really like when you think you know something, but you don't want to like, 
You don't want to like talk yourself out of it. You don't want to have that moment. And I, you were a contestant on Millionaire. You know how that is. Oh, it is nerve wracking. <laughs> I yeah, mean, we forgot is... to bring that up last time. You were a contestant on Millionaire. <laughs> I was. I was a contestant on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire in uh, in 2016 with Chris Harrison. The Chris Harrison run of Millionaire. You did very well, by the way, considering what it was. Yeah, I, I mean, I walked away with uh, thirty thousand dollars and had a really, really good time. And this was right when I think this was like Harrison's first or second year doing that, so he was still like not figuring out the premise. And you're sitting the there going like, "Oh, geez, should I ask the audience on this?" Or yeah. And by the way, because the, the question that I went out on on $50,000 that I walked away on is asking, like, like what model of car shares its name with a, with a Duke Ellington song? And it was the song Caravan. I have since heard that song about 100 million times. <laughs> how, many from, how many from real assholes? Feel free to be honest. How many of them from mostly assholes were, just rubbing in your face? Mostly, uh, it was mostly those people just saying, hey, I heard this new song. You want to hear it? You go to hell. No, you know what? You laugh in their face with your thirty thousand dollars. <laughs> Precisely. Precisely. You go, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I got money and you don't, sunshine. Plus the fifty thousand. Everyone who's who's seen that version of Millionaire knows the fifty thousand dollar question is like the most toughest question of the entire stack. Yeah, it's like it was brutal. Because I know better. When I see when I see the show, I know fifty thousand dollars is the people are going to walk away question. Because if they get it right, the hundred thousand dollars are going to take the gamble. But that yeah. question's usually not as tough as the fifty thousand. That's usually like a you know it or you don't, but take a guess. Exactly. Like what was the which of these has has been the first discontinued flavor of Jello since nineteen sixty eight? Something like that. That that no human being is going to be able to reason out. It's it's just it's always it's that's always and then it gets into like. A pop culture like which celebrity's middle name is this, and then it goes to like a, a American history question because always one of the final five has to be in it something involving Americana in some way. That's a rule set, I believe, by like the producers. Like you have to have something in America. So right. presidents, senators, uh, noted American historical events, something like. Uh, I think one question was when I wrote, when I had my own stack. It was the uh, when Reagan's inauguration. He had jelly beans. Uh, which of the following was not a flavor of jelly bean in that inauguration? Because because it, it was red, white, and blue. But I made sure that two flavors could ca- coincide with a white. <laughs> right, like coconut and pineapple. And then you're just like, oh no. <laughs> But that's what it makes the show such a fun. To me, it's good. I'm glad you're bringing it back uh, for an online audience, and I hope a lot of people tune in to that, Brian. I do. We're, we're going to be airing it on Twitch, so a lot of people are going to be able to see it, and I cannot wait uh, to get started. Brian, thanks again so much for stopping by. Thank you. Be safe, and I uh, can't wait to do this again.
Alrighty, thanks again to Brian for stopping by. I just love talking about Mastermind. It is one of my favorite game shows because it's so simplistic. You just need a chair, a spotlight, questions, you're good. Uh, anyway, let's get through some of these fun facts. Uh, Kevin Ashman got the highest score ever in Mastermind with score of 41. His special subject was the life of Martin Luther King. He would be an IQA world champion and then be uh, get the highest ever score in Brian Brent and then is a member of Eggheads ever since. Uh, during edition of uh, Mastermind Champion of Champions, which is like their big Tournament of Champions episode, uh, Jesse Horney scored 23 out of 23 on a category of Flags of the World, which was a specialist subject and all-time record when it came to Mastermind. In uh, addition to that, uh, he lost out to Pat Robinson because he got two passes. It was a tithe breaker, and you never care about that. Junior Mastermind, a 11-year-old named Callum, scored 19 points on his specialist subject, which was a cricketer named Andrew Flintoff. He did not win. He lost by one point after achieving a final score of 32 in the general knowledge round. Goes to show you, even though you might have the specialist subject category in the bag, it's all about the luck that goes into that final round. It's all general knowledge. The lowest score was Simon Curtis and Steve Ferry, who both scored one point when answering questions about the life in films of Jim Carrey and the Thirty Years' War, respectively. How can you screw up in a category about Jim Carrey movies? Like, like, look, the, the number 23, he played a character named Walter Sparrow or Fingerling. Uh, you had The Mask. In The Mask, he played Stanley Ipkiss, and it's based off a comic book series. Uh, what else you want? A liar, liar. He plays an attorney, in liar, liar. Uh, he was uh, main on the moon with Andy Kaufman, so that's kind of bad. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, current record for lowest score is three points, though overall, uh, it was a December twenty first, twenty sixteen celebrity episode with Katina Cox of a special subject of Arsenal Football Club. Currently, the only ever contestant to score no points in a single round. Uh, previous record was five points. Uh, anyway, let's go through all of the names of every winner ever on Mastermind. Deep breath. Thank you, Wikipedia. Hopefully you're not wrong. <clears throat> Nancy Wilkinson, Patricia Owen, Elizabeth Herricks, John Hart, Roger Pritchford, Sir David Hunt, Rosemary James, Philip Jenkins, Fred Hausgau, Leslie Grout, Chris Hughes, Margaret Harris, Ian Meadows, Jennifer Heavenly, Jeremy Bradbrook, David Beamish, Mary Elizabeth Raw, David Edwards, Stephen Allen, Steve Williams, Gavin Fowler, George Davidson, Kevin Ashman, Richard Sturch, Anne Ashert, Robert Gibson, Christopher Carter, Stephen Follows, Michael Penris, Andy Page, Sean Wallace, Patrick Gibson, Jeff Thomas, David Clark, Nancy Dickman, Jesse Honey, Ian Bailey, Gary Grant, Aidan McQuaid, Clive Dunning, Marianne Fairthorne, Alan Heath, Isabel Heward, Brian Chesney, and Judith Lewis. Thank you for your Patreon back. No, it's not, not Patreon backings. Uh, no, they're not people in the in the House of Commons either. Uh, those are all winners of Mastermind. Put that on an only connect puzzle. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I love Mastermind so much. It is such a classic game show. I wish there was a way to put it here in some regard. But until that day comes, I guess all I can do is just watch BBC videos and, and have a dream. And now it's time for the 110-part series exploring every pricing game from The Price is Right. This is The Pricing Game Spotlight.
I really hope I'm not getting sick. I know I've been saying that a while, but I don't want really to get sick here. Probably am going to get sick. I might. All right. You know what I should do? Don't tell anyone this. I'm going to pre-record some of these uh, for the next couple of times and, and try and see if they seamlessly work in later episodes of game shows, I suppose. Might be weird. I might end up sounding really sick and sore-throated and it wouldn't work, but I don't know. Maybe this will work. Uh, so this is going to be one that I'm going to record right now and then maybe a couple of episodes thereafter. It, it might sound a bit different because... Uh, well, uh, I'm recording those in advance, but don't tell anybody that. Uh, so I got some uh, apple juice here. I'm going to drink some. Um, drink plenty of fluids. Uh, anyway. Oh, uh, the game. That's right, the game. Uh, pick a number. Um, anyway. Let's pick a number. You pick a number. If it's match the prize, you win. Oh, you should probably go through with it. Uh Premiere day, January 31st, 1992, 8285D. Finale date, Bob Barker, June 5th, 2007, 4022K. Uh, premiere day, Drew Carey, February 7th, 2008, 4194K. Played on center stage. Uh, one of more lesser liked games in the show's current rotation and premiere to celebrate the show's ceremonial 4000th episode. Uh, in reality, it was the 3992nd. Um, actually, um, um, actually, it wasn't the 4,000th, it was the 3,992nd episode, uh, so, uh, maybe you should have waited a bit there. <laughs> uh, contestants shown the price of a prize, one digit is missing, three possible digits are shown, A, B, or C, and the contestant picks one of those three. Is it the six? Is it the eight? Is it the nine? Is it the two? Is it the three? Is it the five? Is it the one? Is it the seven? Is it the five? Uh, if they're correct, they win the prize. On its first playing on the Ceremony 4000th episode in reality, 3992nd, or January 31st, 1992, the game was won. Pick a number has been played for a four-digit car at least once in the game's history during a time when such cars were still being offered on the show. Pick a number can theoretically be and has been played for a five-digit prize, as the dollar sign on the board can be replaced by a digit. However, because of how the prop is built, the 10,000th digit could not be the missing number. Uh, in concept, this game is similar to a foreign version of Squeeze Play, where a, pro a contestant picks two numbers off the price of a product. In pick a number, a contestant simply puts the correct number from a supply of three numbers. Pick a number serves as the all-purpose substitute pricing game. Could be an intended game breakdown as it involves no electronics and is easy to set up on short notice. This happened October 9th, 2002, 2253K, when Penny Ante malfunctioned and pick a number was set up to replace it. On March 5th, 2018, during PCH week, contestant won $20,000 in the pricing game, play on the second slot. Most number of times to play on a season was 28 and it is one that I say, it actually needs its time in the sun. And I'm glad that we're talking about it today here in the Pricey Game Spotlight. Because, yeah, it's a people dislike it. And, yeah, the game is really simple. It's called Pick a Number. But what I like it is this is just a simple what is what digit is missing, option one, option two, option three. 
And you can play this as difficult as you want or as easy as you want, depending on which uh, like little area do you want. Do you want the thousands place? Do you want the hundreds place? Do you want the tens place? Or do you want the ones place? So it becomes a, a big uh, mess with your head if, based on how difficult you want the game to be. Is this prize 7,000, 8,000, or 9,000? Is this prize... 3,500, 3,600, 3,900. Is this price 4,150, 3,170, 3,190? Or do you want to just completely trash everything and make the game difficult and make it like 5,430, 5,320? to 5,324, 5,327. It just, it, it messes with your head. And also because the only mechanism here is like a block that has the numbers. So theoretically, theoretically, folks, all you need to build this setup for pick a number is you need uh, a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, zero as as the red blocks. And then you need to set up the price tag in the four slots with one question mark or pick a number to fill it in uh, and then have the correct solution on the lower end when you're doing the big price reveal of what the answer is. Because there, is no, uh, there is no mechanism. There is no button to push. There's nothing electronic in this game. That's why I think this is always in rotation. And why it's just kind of like base pricing game. I know there's no whistles and bells and nothing fancy, flashy lights going anywhere. But all you do is pull up a, you pull up the number and you see if it's correct. That's it. That's all you do and pick a number. Uh, and I think that's why it's it's very fun. Um, anyway, I'm just gonna drink some apple juice now. Anyway, um, I like p pick a number. I think that's one of the other great versatile games. We talked about swap meet. Pick a number is also the same. And I think that being a short notice game also works because in the event of a breakdown, I think it only takes like maybe three minutes if, if you're really good to just put it up, center stage, light it up. And anyone can figure out where it says, because, hey, the numbers are big flashy. What goes here? That's the game. The game should really, even though it's called pick a number, because that's all you do, the game should just go, what goes here? That's the name of the game. What goes here? <laughs> what game is this? What goes here? What goes here? Is it the seven or the five? I don't know. And that's that's how pick a number works. Uh, <laughs> next time on the Pricing Games Spotlight. Ooh, Switch. This is the search for America's first Lego Masters. No! Oh! Holy tomato! So I got to see uh, Lego Masters over the week. Uh, actually, right when I uploaded the episode, Lego Masters debuted, and I finally saw the American version with Will Arnett. And I'm going to say it, I enjoyed the hell out of Fox's take on this format called Lego Masters that already was in the UK and in Australia. Now it's here. It's one of the, my favorite, favorite game shows, if, if you call it that. I mean, 
I mean, people always know of it as like a reality show because it's a creative-based game show that follows. I always like to say it's it's a creative-based game show that follows the life of ten little Indians because ten to nine to eight to seven to six per episode, and it's all based on judgment. And that's basically a format of Lego Masters. And instead of baking, instead of arts and crafts, I mean, it's technically a craft. It is building stuff with Lego. Uh, and Lego is one of my favorite things to play with. I, I enjoy Lego. I love going to the Lego store, looking at all these creations, looking at all these builds, uh, seeing what all these actual like Lego designers can build with Lego. Uh, Plural of Lego is Lego, just so people know. Things like Bionicle, things like Lego Tectonic, it's Technic, it's Technic, not Tectonic. Um, seeing all sorts of robots being made, bricks, cars, all sorts of fun stuff. And Lego Master is essentially one of these feel-good building crafts competitions where there's teams of two, and they're all based with some connection to each other, having to build uh, creations each week and then get judged with the last person standing getting $100,000 and a Lego trophy and the title of Lego Master. That's the prizes, and I'm here for it because everyone who has been in this competition, at least so far, has been very talented. There's no villains in the show. It's all very lighthearted. This is Lego. This is a fun uh, craft set. This is a fun toy that kids play with every day. And now you're seeing grown adults, which is the only downside to the show so it, it so far is in the UK version, you saw kids play against adults and there was kind of like, there was no sugarcoating uh, anything. This feels directly like they're looking for 18 and over. Uh, simply put, because, well, most likely this was done during a school time and they don't want to uh, get a teacher aid, especially if they're going to spend like 10 to 15 hours building creations. Uh, of course, something's telling me, based on what they did, they probably took a break. They they probably took two-day shifts in making these creations. Uh, what I like about this show, it, it, Will Arnett is the host. Will Arnett, uh, if you've never seen these Lego movies out there, you know, Lego Batman movie, he's Batman. He's the Batman in the Lego Batman movie. He is also uh, in the Lego movie and the Lego movie, the second part. Uh, so someone tells me they might have asked Chris Pratt first, and then they went no. And then Elizabeth Banks was like, I'm busy with Press Your Luck. So this is it. Um, wait, Chris Pratt's working on that movie with uh, Mike Mitchell. So he's working with Mitch. So Will Arnett of BoJack Horseman fame is hosting this show where teams build stuff and then get judged. And every week someone gets eliminated, but not in the first episode. First episode was basically just the test the core. Uh, when they built a theme park, the first episode was a standout episode because it had all the quirkiness of like the Lego movies and the sense of humor. Uh, and they had it basically show you there's really little to no stakes in this show. It's all played for laughs, except for like a cash prize. Um, other than that, it was all for laughs. It was all for fun. And I enjoy the way they handle the humor. It's, it's, it's very family-oriented, very funny, very silly. All of the contestants feel like they have their own character. They've built characters in the show, kind of like the circle. But they're not like, uh, 
obnoxious big brother characters if that makes sense like we're not looking at the jock we're not looking at the 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 nerd we're looking at like the father and son who grew up together building lego and you're looking at like the pair of strangers from portland that look like they have beards and have no other connection except for lego and it makes for hilarious uh conversations uh both when they're building and then in the of course they have to do a confessional but it feels like the confessionals are done way after the fact and it feels like they're just playing that for laughs they're not trying to film it like it's in the current moment during the build um which I also kind of enjoy because I think they're trying to play up a trope of that. And my favorite part of Lego builders, it, the judges, by the way, all work on Lego. They all work at the Lego company building amazing creations of, and they have an eye for Lego. They know what's the Lego brand. And one works for uh, Lego girls. This one set that is all about uh, building houses and, I'm not going to say girly because, like, the whole, uh, you know, I, I, I still hate this is a man's thing, this is a woman's thing. I think Lego's for everybody. I think Lego is that one toy that I think is it doesn't matter what gender you are, people love Lego. And Lego Friends was a big sell, and it works. And you, I, I just remember seeing someone build a giant puppy once, and I thought that was very cute. Uh, and the other one is this Lego sculptor kind of thing where they can build, like, this Sydney Opera House or uh, Westminster Abbey, all of these prominent real-life buildings and structures in the real world. And I remember loving those so much. Like, those are my favorite Lego things, and he's one of the judges. And then you got Will Arnett doing jokes, and he's and all of them are encouraging. When they give critique, they're, they never go like, this is bad. They usually go like, the important part of this creation is a structure, or the important part about this is the technical aspect, or is it come from the imagination? Are you telling a story? And that's all they usually bring up, and it's very fun to see what happens. In the theme park episode, there is a monorail circling around the park, and they broke it up into 10 quadrants, and then you just build a theme park around it. It's your little space to build a theme park. And it must have a actual moving equipment thing. And I thought that was a very fun. But what I thought was also very fascinating here, and this is where I wanted to get to the rambling part of the, the format. They actually had, when they do the, because you know how some of these game shows, when they do a creative, is, hey, explain what you did. Oh, I made a, this food item. Or, oh, I did this uh, clubhouse. They're doing that with the Lego, but... Some of the creations get their own stop motion scene and it's played with real Lego in a real stop motion atmosphere, similar to that of the Lego movies, complete with a sense of humor, complete with the set dressing, complete with the jokes and the moving mouse. And when I saw that for the first time, I loved it. I smiled so much because it gave me a sense of like, oh, this is the imagination of the builder but it's also presenting you, the audience, with like a very short of what they probably imagined it to be. That it felt nice, it felt natural, it felt great. And it was something that's not in the UK version, and I don't think it was in the Australian version either. So when I saw that, I gasped, and then I got excited and happy because this might be the first time, at least I can think of, where stop-motion animation 
played a prominent role in a game show. It is a blending of two genres. When I saw this little cutscene of explain your build, because now we're seeing stop motion animation with the reality show. We see cartoons. There's a lot of cartoons and game shows here and there. We see genre building. We see like horror game shows. We see comedy game shows. But this is a stop motion animation scene inside of a reality show. And that uh, is amazing to me. That's something I didn't even think of when it came to Lego builders, despite the fact that when we think Lego now, we think of not just the toys, we think of the movie franchises. We think of uh, Lego Ninjago, and uh, we, we think of Philip Lord, and we think of Chris McKay, and all these people who work on these in these films. And th- th- that was actually exciting to see. Uh, and it was something that was like, okay, this is the winner because you see these silly animations. I think some audiences might think this is stupid. This is Lego. Who cares about Lego? Especially because it's Fox. They didn't go for more Bake Off. They went for more MasterChef because of the two-story set dressing and all the creations and industrial. But it didn't really step away from the feel-good atmosphere of Lego Masters. No one's really going, that build sucks. Oh, I hope they get eliminated. They're all going like, I don't want them to lose. I want them to stay around. We all become friends. I don't really have much Lego friends. And now I feel bad that they're gone. Like things like that make me uh, excited for the show. Uh, The fact it's on Fox is also very bizarre to me, but it is a fantastic reality competition series. I hope it gets a season two pickup. I don't know what the ratings are for it to last. But they are pairing it with The Masked Singer right now. The Masked Singer is a big show. I love the first season, love season two, love third season so far. That this is also very exciting to me, and I I can't wait to see what they do more of. This week, they're blowing up uh, space creations. The idea is supposed to be they build something themed around space, they put it around the space backdrop, and then they smash it. Rather, it's like with a baseball bat or drop or or a firecracker or something. And I like that idea, too. Like, this is also like innovating the format of Lego and showing what you can do with Lego, both in design and in animation. And I like it a lot. I still like the show. I think this is one of those rare reality shows where I'm going to be biased, simply put, because I love Lego more than can I analyze it on a standpoint of, well, Will Arnett's not that good of a host, or Lego is too childish for mainstream audiences, no one's going to enjoy it, or the casting is bad, or too many sirens, I don't know. But from what I saw in the first episode, from the previews and clips I've seen to episode two, from things that are going on in the later half of the season, I can tell you I'm going to be binge-watching this entire season of Lego Masters uh, rather, it's going to be on network or through a Hulu or through the Fox app. I don't care. I'm going to be watching every episode of this. This is one of those shows that's made for me that I'm going to keep watching until they finish and see how it plays out because the humor is there. The whimsy is there. The way they're trying to appeal to both adults and kids is there. 
the way you get Will Arnett to present the show as kind of like a Lego Batman version of himself is great. The animation, which to me is the signifier this is something that should be stand out of any other game show, is there. I The only negative I can give, they even flip every reality trope out there from the big ticking clock to the, here, let me just talk to you for a bit. Now we should cut to commercial. Uh, it's there. It's all fun and happy. And I just, to me, this is a happy game show. And I sometimes in this sad reality that we live in, I just want a show that makes me just feel good. It's a feel good show. And that's what Lego masters is, at least to me, even when, uh, when a structure is down, even when there's a bickering of what should go where it's still a feel good show, at least when I'm watching it. And to me, this might, spark more people to build stuff with Lego. And that's why I enjoy it so much. And my letter grade is a solid A. It's a solid A show. It is a recommend. I do recommend you watch Lego Master. It might not be for you. And if it's not, that's okay. But I really enjoy Lego Master. It is the second best reality. I mean, I've seen Spy Games. I've seen The Circle. I see Lego Masters. That's already my three. And we're only we're not even like a third of the way through the year. Um, that I'm excited and I'm going to keep watching Lego Masters. I recommend Lego Masters, Lego Masters, Lego Masters, Lego Masters. Thank you. And that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much for stopping by. Oh, man, I'm getting sick. Is there dust in here? I don't know. Um, anyway, if you like this episode, please listen to all the other episodes over at jordanhaas.com slash podcast. You can say hi to me on Twitter at jordha, J-O-R-D-H-A. You can go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash jordanhaas for more information. And you can listen to more episodes on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Play. Uh, drop us a review. Let us know what game shows you want me to talk about for future installments. And I'll see you next time when I'll be talking about another great game show, I suppose. Until then, big smooch! Mwah!